You're listening to Life in the A-Zone podcast. I'm Peggy Sweeney McDonald, and these are my stories of moving back to my hometown in Louisiana after 36 years to live with my father and mother after she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. It's been a tough journey, but through the hard times, I found the strength to keep moving forward and find those precious moments of grace. Writing my stories of love, laughter, life, and loss in the A-Zone has helped me to grieve and heal. I'm honored to share them with you. Thank you for listening today. This is The Decision. Peanuts or pretzels? The perky flight attendant asked me. Can I have both, please? She hands me the mini snack pack, smiling, then gives me a bonus pack of peanuts. Three for one. Ask and you shall receive. Today is a more is more snack day. It's only 10 a.m., but I'm opening all the mini packs of snacks to go with my airplane coffee, which sucks. So I wash the salty snacks down with my pricey bottled water purchased at the ripoff airport store. I pull out my equally pricey gossip magazines and settle in for the four-hour flight to New Orleans. It has only been about 30 minutes since takeoff, but I need an emotional distraction. Reading about which Hollywood stars getting a divorce, starting their own cooking show, or just won an acting award fills my restless mind. I need gossip trash, just like I need snack trash. For the first time in years, I am not excited about flying back to Louisiana from my home in Los Angeles. The upcoming visit is wrought with an element of dread. I haven't visited in six months since last October when we had a big birthday brunch party for my parents to celebrate mom's 79th and dad's 80th birthdays. The event was super special, complete with a catered brunch of shrimp and grits and a jazz band. This two-week stay will include a weekend wedding in Alabama for my cousin, followed by Easter weekend, but most importantly, my mother has a neurologist appointment, and we agree that she probably has Alzheimer's. My sister Shannon decided we should all be there for the appointment, my father and mother with all four daughters. Shannon is an attorney, the second daughter born 17 months after me. However, she has always been the older sister taking charge of everything. I may be the oldest daughter on paper, but I was the creative one, the actress who left Baton Rouge after graduating from Louisiana State University to pursue my big dreams in Houston, New York, New Orleans, and finally settling in L.A. for 19 years. I had silently relinquished the older daughter, Baton, years ago, and now, 36 years later, I'm filled with guilt for not having been there, especially these last challenging years. So I'm happy to do whatever is asked of me now. I step out of the New Orleans airport, and I'm immediately hit with a wall of humidity, a far cry from the gorgeous April weather I left in Los Angeles. This is not one of Louisiana's two days of spring weather. 
It feels like summer today. I'm hot and sticky within minutes. Welcome back to Louisiana. Standing at the curb, I spot them and wave. My mother and father, Sherry and Miles Sweeney, soon pull up next to me in their brown grandparents' van. Dad gets out, gives me a big bear hug, opens the back door, and lifts my suitcase into the van. I am more than capable of lifting my suitcase, but my 80-year-old father is the quintessential Southern gentleman, and he loves doing anything to help his girls and grandchildren. I jump into the van back seat and lean over to kiss my mother. She is smiling and happy to see me. There's some bottled water in the ice chest by your feet. Are you hungry? I thought we would go eat at Harbor Seafood, Dad announces. Dad is always ready to feed and water us. Sounds great to me. All I've had today was an apple, a cheese stick, and the freebie peanuts and pretzels. He pulls out of the airport and heads to the restaurant in the New Orleans suburb of Kenner, or Kenna, as everyone here calls it. Coming here has been a Sweeney tradition since forever. My late grandparents lived nearby, and they loved their oyster po'boys. When any of the Sweeney family members fly in or out of New Orleans airport, we always stop at Harbor Seafood for a delicious meal before heading back to Baton Rouge. It's two o'clock when we turn off Williams Boulevard, and I notice there isn't anyone waiting on the park bench or standing outside the door. We miss the lunch rush. If you don't time it right, you have to wait outside for lunch at this popular place. There are no parking spots in the front, so we drive around to park in the Oyster Shell parking lot. If you aren't from Louisiana, you probably won't know that we often use broken oyster shells in lieu of gravel for parking lots and driveways. At the sound of the oyster shells crunching under the tires, I know we have arrived at Harbor Seafood, and my mouth starts watering for their delicious seafood. When we get out and head into the restaurant, I remind Dad to please lock the car. The thought of my suitcase with two weeks of clothes being stolen freaks me out. Never mind that I have a closet full of clothes in the guest room I use at my parents' home. My suitcase was stolen out of a car in New York City years ago and has left me with a lasting paranoia. As we enter the restaurant, I wonder if I'm putting it out into the universe for it to happen again, or if it's my intuition telling me it will happen today. Maybe I'm just anxious about this trip. I tell myself to stop it and enjoy my parents. I need to be present. Breathe, Peggy. Breathe. Entering the restaurant, we are hit with the delicious smell of fried seafood and gumbo. The real deal, as my husband Jimmy calls this intoxicating smell. Years ago, we were visiting in Phoenix and headed for a day trip to Sedona, and I saw a Papado's restaurant sign on the side of the freeway. Oh my God, there's a Papado's here, I exclaimed. What the hell is Papado's, Jimmy asked. It was my favorite Louisiana restaurant when I lived in Houston in the 80s. I made a note of the exit, and returning from Sedona that evening, we stopped for dinner. As soon as we entered Papado's, the smell of gumbo and fried seafood filled our nostrils. Jimmy turned to me and said, It smells like the real deal. 
soon slurping a spoon of seafood gumbo, he said, Yeah, you're right. This is the real deal. For my New Yorker husband, loving Louisiana food was his coveted prize for marrying a Southern girl. I think how jealous Jimmy will be as the hostess leads us to a table by the window. A friendly waitress soon arrives, setting down giant plastic tumblers of iced water. How y'all doing? My name is Sandy. What can I get you to drink today? We give our drink orders and then dig into the basket of individually wrapped saltine crackers with small foil packs of butter, a staple at Louisiana seafood joints. I peruse the extensive menu. I want everything. (laughs) What to order? Living in Los Angeles, I never get real deal seafood, so I could eat it all. Gumbo, crawfish etouffee, raw and charbroiled oysters, boiled seafood, fried seafood platters, crawfish pasta, po'boys, and more. But here at Harbor Seafood, I always get the same thing. A cup of gumbo and the seafood stuffed merleton that comes with a side salad swimming in ranch dressing with a slice of buttered Texas toast. Dad orders gumbo and the seafood pasta special, and Mom wants a fried shrimp plate. Let the two-week Louisiana Food Fest begin. There is nothing like this in Los Angeles. As we wait for our lunch, Dad excitedly tells me the itinerary for the upcoming wedding weekend in Dauphin Island, Alabama. My sister Erin will join us. We will leave on Friday morning, and it will be a fun road trip. Besides attending the rehearsal dinner and wedding, we will get to go to Bellingrath Gardens on Saturday and visit old friends on Sunday. Who's getting married? Mom asks. Michael, Dad replies. Who's that? She says. Dad explains it's his nephew, his late sister Althea's son. Oh, that's right. How's, uh, your husband? She asks me, forgetting Jimmy's name. Jimmy's fine, Mom. He misses his Mustang convertible. What happened to it? She asks. She has forgotten that he was in a car accident last month. Some idiot pulled out of the parking lot and T-boned his baby. He wasn't hurt, but the midlife crisis car he drove for 10 years is gone and now replaced by a boring Toyota Corolla. He will never be the same, I explain, and they both laugh. Sandy brings our seafood gumbo and we dig in. Mom takes a bite of Dad's gumbo and eats more crackers. Our table is now covered with plastic and foil wrappers with cracker crumbs scattered on the red plastic tablecloth. Dad and I inhale our gumbo in minutes. The dark root is delicious and the bowl is brimming with oyster, shrimp, crab meat with a half of a crab hanging out of my bowl. After finishing the gumbo, I crack the crab shell with my knife, then pick out the sweet crab meat. I end by sucking out the juices from the crab claws. I leave nothing but the empty crab shell in the bowl. I'm in gumbo heaven until our entrees arrive. I didn't order this, Mom announces. Dad and I look at each other. What the? Sherry, that's what you ordered, Dad states emphatically. No, I ordered that, she proclaims, pointing to my plate. Dad's face gets bright red as he rolls his eyes and continues arguing with her, making her even more upset. 
It's okay, Mom. We can split mine, as I can't eat all of this anyway. I interrupt while cutting my stuffed merleton in half and placing it on her plate. She seems happy. She smiles at me and begins eating. I scoop a bunch of her fried shrimp and fries onto my plate. I squeeze lemon on everything and add hot sauce to the cocktail sauce, as it is never spicy enough for me. I dip the fried shrimp in the cocktail sauce, then into the homemade tartar sauce. It's melt-in-your-mouth delicious. We eat in silence. Mom picks at her food. I'm ready for this meal to be over. Damn, this is getting real. The ride home to Baton Rouge is an easy hour and 15 minutes. Mom falls asleep. Dad has the serious radio station on playing 50s music, so he can't hear me from the back. Jealous? Eat your heart out, I text Jimmy, sending him a picture of my yummy seafood lunch. You are so mean. I hope you aren't going to do this for the next two weeks, he texts me back. We pull into the driveway of my parents' beautiful home where they have lived for 27 years. We didn't grow up in this house. They moved to Tennessee back in the 80s for eight years, then returned to Baton Rouge and bought this home. It's a big two-story home set in a lovely neighborhood. The backyard is a forest setting filled with mature oak trees backing up to the Amy River. The neighborhood has a beautiful lake with paths all around it, and the path entry is only one house away. I love coming to this house, but most of all, they love it. When they bought it, they didn't know about the lake and the kids' playground next to the lake, which was perfect for when their nine grandchildren visited. The home decor is a bit dated now and filled with antiques, but I love it, especially the guest bedroom that I have designated as my room. It has my grandmother's old bedroom furniture, which is comforting and brings back great memories. I walk up the stairs, passing all of our framed formal wedding pictures, including my parents, who were 20 and 21, respectively. I glance at the picture of Jimmy and me walking down the aisle of St. Louis Cathedral in the French Quarter. Our smiles have never been bigger than on that wedding day. It was one of my favorite photos ever. We look so young. It occurs to me that we are now past the age our parents were when we got married. Yikes. Dad, who has carried my big heavy suitcase up to my room, meets me in the hallway, reminding me of the neurologist appointment tomorrow at 10 o'clock. My three sisters will meet us there. Okay, let me unpack and I'll be down soon, I tell him. My father sits in his chair and reads. Across the large living room, Mom and I sit on the big olive green sofa and watch Dancing with the Stars. She's on the end closer to the TV, and before long, I am laying on the sofa with my feet next to her. She reaches over and puts my feet in her lap and rubs them. I'm relaxed and grateful for this time together. We clap after each dance performance as if we are right there in the audience. We love everything about the show, the costumes, the music, the dancing— and the very dramatic judge. We laugh at his critiques. He's crazy, Mom says, and we laugh harder. Y'all want some ice cream, Dad asks? Soon we are diving into big bowls of Rocky Road ice cream. Lately, at home, Jimmy and I enjoy ice cream in our little plastic gelato bowls we brought home from our favorite gelato place in Studio City. 
Of course, they charge $5 for the tiny bowl. I have no idea why we bring the plastic disposable bowls home to reuse. There is something fun and whimsical about eating gelato out of those tiny cups in bright colors with the tiny plastic spoons. I guess I want to recreate the feeling at home. The small gelato cup is a Los Angeles serving of ice cream, and this cereal bowl of ice cream is clearly a Louisiana serving of ice cream. I can see the five pounds creeping on me now. Every time I visit Louisiana, I go back with five additional pounds. It's just a given and worth every bite. The next morning, we are the first to arrive at the neurology clinic. My younger sisters join us one by one, Shannon, Aaron, who's a wine company rep, and my baby sister, Kelly, a doctor. I'm excited to see them as I haven't seen them in months, but I wish we were somewhere else, anywhere else. I stand up to hug them and we whisper to each other how this sucks. They all hug mom and dad, sit and fill them in on their kids, trying to divert the attention away from the reason we are here. The nurse calls out, Sherry Sweeney, from the entrance door, and we all stand and walk single file to the door. As we follow the nurse back to the doctor's office, I think to myself, she must think this is overkill. Six family members for neurologist appointment? The office is small and only has three chairs for the patient family. The nurse brings two more chairs, and Kelly tells her she is fine standing. Good, as there is no more room for another chair. We all look at each other nervously. Why are we here? Mom asks, just as the doctor comes in. The whole family is here, he says as he shakes our hands. He sits behind the desk and starts questioning my mother. How old are you? Hmm. She looks around at each of us, and none of us respond. It's painful to watch. Fifty-seven, she blurts out, which is my age. What year were you born? Uh... 1958, the year I was born. Who is the president? Hmm. Clinton? What floor are we on in this building? I don't know. Do you know why you're here? No. Mom's eyes dart around pleading for help and we all stay silent. It seems cruel and I want to help her. We flinched as our beautiful mother failed each question. The knife of reality digs in my heart. I'm sure Dad and my sisters feel the same. The doctor announces to us that she has Alzheimer's, as if she isn't sitting in the room. The sadness creeps from my head to my heart, and I start to cry silent tears. I glance around at my sisters and see the reality hit them like a ton of bricks. Dad seems stunned. Mom looks confused. It's not that we didn't know this was coming, but hearing the official big A diagnosis slaps us in the face. Wake up! The elephant that has been in the room these last five years is now sitting on top of us and squeezing the breath out of each of us. You are lucky to have such a caring family. I've never seen anything quite like this. They're like a bunch of bees buzzing around you, the doctor tells mom. He tells us to set up an appointment with a neuropsychiatrist and come back to see him in six months. 
He reviews mom's drugs on his computer from her regular doctor and increases the dosages, adding anti-anxiety meds. These meds will only slow the progression of the disease, he tells us before standing up. We are dismissed. The much-dreaded doctor's appointment is finished. We walk out of the office like deflated balloons. I wonder if the doctor was giving us a backhanded compliment. It seemed like an obnoxious stab. He's never seen anything like this? Seriously? What the frick? I don't think any of us like being compared to a bunch of bees. Yeah, that's us, the honey bunches of bees buzzing around trying to support our mother. I'm angry. We all stop at the checkout counter while Dad sets up another appointment for six months from now. Why? What good will it do? Y'all want to go to lunch, Kelly asks us as we step into the elevator. Yes, Dad says, answering for Mom and me. Shannon bows out, saying she has to get to her office and Aaron has to go see her restaurant clients. Nobody talks about what just happened. The sadness settles in as we stand in the lobby saying goodbye. We quickly hug Shannon and Aaron, avoiding eye contact, knowing that the first to sob would open the floodgates. Dad, Mom, Kelly, and I walk across the parking lot to California Pizza Kitchen and settle into a booth. I order split pea soup and salad. I need comfort food. Mom orders the same thing. This time, she doesn't argue when the food comes. She eats the entire bowl and picks at her salad. Dad finishes his pizza and Mom's salad. Kelly eats her pizza fast and heads out the door to work. We don't mention the doctor's appointment. The family unit has now been reduced to the three of us. Dad pays the bill and we head to the parking garage. We drive home in silence with the Frank Sinatra channel on the Sirius radio station playing Send in the Clowns, followed by That's Life. Thank you, Frank. Life sucks big time right now. Back home, Dad goes to his chair in the living room. Mom and I head to our bedrooms for a nap. It's only 12.30 p.m., but we are both tired. This has been the longest morning. I just want to sleep and numb out reality. As Mom opens her bedroom door, I stop and hug her. You okay, Mom? I'm fine, she says, and I hear the sadness in her voice. I hug her closer. I love you, I whisper in her ear, choking back tears. I love you too, Peg, and I'm glad you are here, she says. She looks lost, and it breaks my heart. She steps into her bedroom and shuts the door. As I walk up the stairs, I wonder if she grasped the finality of her diagnosis this morning, or does she not remember any of it? I wish I didn't remember any of it. I crawl into my bed and begin to cry. I pull the covers over my head and pray all those prayers I learned in Catholic grade school. I don't know what else to do. My cell phone rings and wakes me up at 4 p.m. It's Jimmy. Oh, crap. I forgot to call him. How did it go? He asks, and I fill him in. I'm sorry. My day wasn't much better. Looks like the universe made some decisions for us. I got laid off today. What? I sit up and my heart goes to my toes. Oh my God, Jimmy, what happened? I'm shocked, but secretly grateful at the same time. Before he can tell me, I blurt out, Did you get a package? Can you get unemployment? Yes, both. I'm relieved. 
I've been miserable, and they just made it easy for us to move back to Louisiana, he said. I have been campaigning for over a year to move home to Louisiana. What Jimmy didn't know is that I had prayed a week ago, out loud, pleading, begging God in tears to please let Jimmy be laid off. Ever since his parents had died four years ago, I knew he had been unhappy with working as a branch manager at a brokerage firm's. It was a grind with tons of corporate changes. It wasn't the job he had loved so much for so many years. I knew that he wanted to quit his job of 14 years. I also knew that if he was laid off with a package, it would be much easier for us to plan a move to Louisiana. Thank you, God. My prayers were just answered in a big way. Jimmy understands my desire to move home. Six months ago, we were laying in bed, and I told him I really wanted to move home and be there for my parents. In 2011, his mother had died suddenly of lung cancer, and 11 days later, his father had died of Alzheimer's. The sudden shock of their death so close together back in New York had slammed him emotionally. He was not prepared for the grief that followed, and I had no clue how to support him. As he slowly crawled his way out of the devastation, I started dealing with what was happening with my mom back in Louisiana. Wow, this is turning out to be a pivotal day that is changing the course of our future. My mind is spinning. Should I fly home, I ask? The thought of him being alone right now is crushing. No, don't rush back. Be there for your mom and dad. Enjoy the wedding and Easter. I have a lot to do here to start getting organized if we're going to sell the condo and move back to Louisiana, he says. We say goodbye, and I love yous. I climb out of bed and walk down into the living room. Mom and Dad are watching the news as if it's just any other day. It's about time you wake up. I was starting to worry about you, Dad tells me. Jimmy just got laid off, I announced. Oh, no, Mom says. That's terrible. Dad says. I sit on the sofa and start to cry. It's a good thing. We can now move back to Louisiana, I say. Come here and let me hold you, Mom says tenderly. She hugs me tight, then I lay my head on her lap and sob. She rubs my shoulders and comforts me. I cry for her. I cry for Dad, my sisters, our family. I cry for Jimmy and I cry for me. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay, Peggy, she says over and over. It's going to be okay, and I try to believe her. I want to believe her. She's my loving, wonderful mother again, at least for this moment. My mother could always make anything better with her touch, her smiles, her laughter, her singing, her dancing, an ice cream cone from Baskin-Robbins, a bowl of her homemade vegetable soup. Seven up on cracked ice, slices of watermelon or popsicles on a hot summer day, a brand new outfit, a visit to see me wherever I was living, a Hallmark card in the mail with a check to treat myself. Her feel better list is unending, but nothing on that list will make her feel better today, tomorrow, or any time in the distant future, and that is all I want right now. I want a magic wand that will make everything better, to erase her Alzheimer's and to make her whole and healthy again. 
Can I be the loving daughter who comes home to the roost and be there for the hard times? Will I be able to navigate life in the A-zone? At this moment, I just don't know. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Peggy Sweeney McDonald, and each week I will be sharing my stories of life in the A-Zone. My hope is for you to find courage, strength, and grace as you navigate your caretaking journey with your parents, spouse, or family members. New episodes will post each Wednesday. Follow me at Life in the A-Zone on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And check out my best-selling book, Meanwhile Back at Cafe Dumont, Life Stories About Food, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Pelican Publishing.